Well, hello. Hi. Hi, you all look great. It was so awesome listening to you worship. I get to teach at a bunch of different churches, but your church sings. Like, it's so great. Uh, how many of you are excited to get your senior pastor back here uh, next week? Yeah. Uh, Scott is an uh, amazing man. I'm, I'm so excited that he and I, for like over 10 years, have gotten to know each other, and I've gotten to hear about this church, but I've never actually gotten to be here, so it is so awesome to be with you. My name's Jeff. Uh, I have been married for 25 years. I have a 22-year-old that just got married, so I moved into the old guy category, which I'm cool with. Uh, it's a whole new thing that I'm taking on, but it's fine. Uh, I have a 19-year-old son. I have a 12-year-old daughter, uh, and I've been in ministry for 25 years, been teaching, and so we started Phoenix One 12 years to go to reach millennials and help integrate them back into the local church, and then two and a half years, we kind of made a switch, a transition, and it was this, that we saw local staff at churches and pastors really burning out, and as a result, making pretty poor decisions, and it was affecting the body. Again, everything we've been doing is around John 17, 23, that we would be, anybody know the word? One, that the world will know the love of Christ. It's Jesus' evangelistic plan to reach the world, and what we are seeing is fracturing happening within local staff at churches that were impacting the, the congregation and the community, so we said, hey, I think we need to recircle all of our energy and just really become a safe place for church staff to get help and healing. So that's what we do day in and day out. So I was so excited that this church said, hey, Pastor Scott, go have a break. Go, go get a break. And I promise you he's going to come back rejuvenated. Uh, I believe that God's going to be speaking to him, has been speaking to him in this time. It's really important that, that you kind of give your staff uh, rest. They need rest. You know, it's one of the most difficult jobs on the planet. Uh, the weight of what it is to carry the spiritual, not just the spiritual burden for a local church, but also for the culture around it. And so they're really trying their hardest to do that. And so bless your staff for all the work that they do. And all you volunteers who step in and support, thank you so much. You are a part of a greater solution that God's invited you into. Cool? We are now going to wrap up First John. It's been awesome. You've had a lot of amazing speakers. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to open your Bibles to First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. And, I, and I'd like you to start in, in verse 12. And here, here's what I want to do. Uh, I want you to take a little bit of time, and I want you to read this. Uh, start in uh, chapter, uh, or, or chapter 5, verse 12. Read to the end of the, the book. And, and here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to ask the Spirit of God to speak to you as you read this on your own. What is He going to teach you before we learn and work through it together? I believe He wants to teach you something just in your time with Him. So maybe pray as you read this on your own. Lord, what would you have me learn and grow and understand? And so... Uh, why don't you take some time, about 90 seconds, read that, pray and ask God for wisdom and discernment as he allows his spirit to speak the scriptures over you.
1 John 5, 12 through 15 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. This is the word of God, and everyone said, amen. Uh, uh, as Scott mentioned, India, India has been a huge part of my life. And, and the, the man who uh, started that or uh, took over for that ministry, it's a huge ministry. They planted 2,500 churches all throughout southern India, thousands of orphans they're caring for, leprosy ministry, massive, massive work. And I got to be a part of that ministry. I got to chair that board for six years. And so the president of that board has become a deep personal friend. I would say he's a spiritual mentor in my life. He speaks into my life. And so all these years I've been taking hundreds of people over to India to show them the work that God is doing there and allowing it to uh, help propel them towards like what's going on inside of me and then what does it mean to impact the world. And so I've been doing this over all these years and then he would come to the United States, he'd stay in our home, we'd have these wonderful meals together and talk. A couple years ago he's sitting at my dining room table and we're having a conversation and he goes, Jeff, I need to stop you. I need to stop you. He goes, I want to let you know something. I think after all these years, you're finally listening. Which felt like a backhanded compliment, you know, like, which means all these years that I have been over there and he's come over here and he's been talking to me and giving me wisdom and, and, and life and helping me understand all of who God is and inviting me. And like just a couple years ago, I started listening and here's what had happened in my own personal life. For most of my life, I've been just surviving. I've been trying to make it happen. I've gone through some life. Anybody gone through some life? My mom left when I was 12. I went to college, got married at 21. My dad and I kind of had a falling out. My son got diagnosed with cancer. My wife got diagnosed with cancer. I've gotten diagnosed with cancer right? And, and we adopted our little, I mean, we're just talking life after life after so much and going and running and gunning. And finally, a few years ago, I was like, something's wrong with me. Something's going on. And so I started to get counseling and I started to deal with this thing that was inside of me, this way in which I was living my life. So finally, I'm sitting at a table with a man who's been highly invested in my life. And he's going, I think you might be listening. And here's what was happening in my heart. I was starting to realign my life and my mind with God's will for my life, as opposed to my own will, that I'm going to keep driving and running and gunning and going and serving and following, as opposed to, Lord, what is it that you want to do in me? Where are you directing me? Where are you leading and guiding me? And so much of where we go south in our lives is it's all about us. And here's what John in this book has been trying to do all along. It's God's will, God's way for God's glory. We just sit to be the benefactors of all that. And the problem is we're running against that all the time. I want my will, my way, for my glory. We tend to be a bit of glory hogs. I want it for me because it, it, it touches, it hits on this insecurity that I have. But really, when we start aligning ourselves with the truth of God, what we start finding out is this. We start listening again. 
we start learning again, and we start living into God's will. God's way for God's glory. And we are the benefactors of this. And as we benefit, guess what we just do? We just give it away. We just give it away to the, those around us. They get to benefit through what we're experiencing by living in light of who God is. William Barclay says it like this. I love this. He says we need to bring our whole life to the whole of God and bring the whole of God to our, the whole of life. All of life is all for Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Now, we love that stuff, but are we really living that way? Because we're going to talk about prayer here in a moment. And I think what we end up doing with prayer is that we make it this ancillary thing that we do. It's like an on-the-box that we check, just like church, just like every goody-good thing that we try to do. We put it on a checkbox, and that's not what we're going to be invited into, and that's desperately not what John is trying to communicate to this local church. Because what's happening in this local church is happening in local churches all around the world. The same message preached 2,000 years ago is the same message that needs to be preached today. And here's what's happening. John had come in and started these churches, and, they were the, and he was overseeing kind of all these house churches. And what's happening here within these letters is he's refocusing them. They have gotten distracted. And in my lifetime, I have never experienced as a believer so much distraction within the local church. I say right now, the local churches sees red and blue. They just, that's where they're focused. We're, we, we just see the economy. We just see politicians. We just, that's what we're looking at. We see CNN or Fox, but we are desperately distracted. And we're desperately distracted by a lot of the things that in John's time they were being distracted of. Right? Power. Power. Who, whose team are you on? The winning team or the losing teams? And what happens is they start to have this decline away from Jesus, from the truth of who he is and what it means to follow after him. And so many, if you read through the epistles, the apostles, the church fathers, are trying to redirect their attention back to Jesus. Back to the commitment that they made to follow after him. This is desperately what John's trying to do. All throughout this book, and you've been going through it in your personal times together, and every Sunday morning, John is trying to go, hey, 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 you're way out here, and we need to bring it back in here. Who is Jesus? What does it mean to live like Jesus and love like Jesus? The whole book is trying to go, what does it mean to live like Jesus and love like Jesus? And how is it impacting your personal life? But more importantly, to some extent, the, the byproduct of that is, how is it impacting and changing the culture around you? Are we becoming inebriated and drunk with the culture? Or, or are we finding life in life to the full and who Jesus is and who he says we are in light of who he is. And John's inviting us into this. And it has to touch every part of your life. And so he has this abiding invitation. And I know you went through verse 12 last week, but I, I felt it was so important to bring us back to it. 
because it does such a great way of inviting us into this. We, the, what John is inviting us into, and he has been all throughout his, his gospel and in these epistles, is an abiding invitation. He says this in verse 12. Whoever has, whoever has the Son, whoever has Jesus, has what? Has life. Life and life to the full. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you. Remember, he says all throughout this, I think eight times, dear children, dear, listen to the spiritual fathering. Dear children, listen to me. This is so important. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to know who you are and whose you are. You have to start there. You have to center yourself in this reality and what the benefit is to living in that reality. This is an issue of an identity, an identity found in Jesus Christ. When my daughter was four years old. We adopted her from the city of Phoenix. And her story is so painful, so painful, and it's her story to tell. She's 12 now, but it's her story to tell. But we went through the whole thing, the adoption process, whenever, and we stood before the judge, and he went, you're a goki. And as a part of our daughter Mika's journey, we actually renamed her. We got the opportunity to rename her. So in that court, he said, Mika may goki. You are a goki. You're no longer this you're now this. And it was beautiful. We all celebrated and laughed and clapped. It was awesome. It was so awesome. But something interesting happened next. Then they sent us away to the clerk. So we go, you know, we leave our daughter with my, with my mom and some friends, and we, we go to the clerk, and we walk, and they hand us, I'm not even kidding you, a birth certificate. And on the birth certificate is our daughter's new name. But here was the bizarre thing for us. Under the area where it says birth parents was our names. And we grieved over that. We grieved over that in some way. Because no, her mom did her job. She birthed this beautiful little girl into existence. Wasn't able to carry on the rest. That's our job. But according to the state, we are the birth parents of the... She has a new identity. We in Christ have a new identity. The wages of sin is what? Death. Death. We are all people of death and condemnation, but because of God and his great mercy and his grace that covers a multitude of sins, sees us now as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That is who you are if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We forget that so often. And because we forget that, it impacts everything we do, even the way we pray and we approach the Lord. It impacts that dramatically, dramatically. I mean, this is why John in his gospel, in this beautiful, if you haven't read John 15, please go read John 15. And John 15 says this, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
What does an abiding life in Christ look like? It looks like a, a life that's in union and bringing requests constantly to, before the Lord. I want you. I want your will. I want your way for your glory. And see, we all think about this life and this eternal life as this far off thing, but eternal life and intimacy with God is not some far off thing. It's right here, right now. Jesus doesn't just say, follow me. He says, abide in me. Following and abiding are two different things. And I think what has happened, one of the great problems in the local church right now, is we are so busy following Jesus without abiding in him. Uh, my sophomore, so I, how many of you grew up in a, 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 like a Christian family your whole life? Like, right? I say I came out of the womb singing Amazing Grace, right? Like, it was that kind of deal. My mom, my dad was an elder. My mom was a worship leader. So was my dad. And so it was like church all the time. Um, and this was old school. We went to church like three or four days a week because we had to. Um, so, so, but I went to a Christian school in my sophomore and junior years of high school, I won, and this is a true story, the best Christian in the school award. <laughs> hey, kids, how about that? They handing those out at your school, right? Best, I have a plaque, two of them, that, that called it the Conqueror's Award. But everybody knew it meant you were the best Christian in the school. Do you know what that does to a young believer's mind, you start strutting around going, how you like me now, right? Anybody want me to translate the Bible for you, right? Like, I got you, I got you, right? And so I got really good, really good at following Jesus. Right into Moody Bible Institute, right into the pastorate, really good at, at following Jesus. And here's the thing, following Jesus almost cost me my relationship with him. Because he wants more. It can't just be about do, 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 and gold star. That's what I wanted. I wanted to prove to him that was good. Prove to him that I was a good soldier for Jesus. What Jesus is saying in John 15, what John is trying 24 times in this small little book is abide. Abiding is a term of intimacy. It's actually, kids cover your ears, consummation. It's wedding night language. That's what he's looking for from those who commit their lives to him. And I don't think we operate that way. And it impacts what, why we pray, the way we pray. It impacts that. So the question is this, is what does a, an abiding life look like? Somebody who is abiding in Christ and living in union with him, how does it impact your day-to-day -day reality? Well, Jesus helps us as he's helping the disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father. Whose Father is he? He's our Father. He's my Father. He's your Father. And he's holy, holy, holy. And then it, he says this. He directs them this way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whose kingdom is it? It's his kingdom. Whose will is it? It's his will. That's what an abiding life 
centers itself in. It's all about you and your will and your glory. I just want to participate in it. And there is something that is so wrong about that, really, but something that is so right about what Jesus is trying to present to them. Um, Last week, our family drove to Fresno, and, and something happened on that trip that I just hate, but I absolutely love. I hate that I love McDonald's. Kids, how many of you like McDonald's? Just raise your hands, right? Right? I hate that I love McDonald's. And on the way to Fresno, teaching at a church in Fresno, I stopped by McDonald's and got a sausage and egg and cheese McMuffin. Glorious goodness, nostalgic, and clogging every artery in my heart. Right? It is so good and so wrong. There's something so wrong about what Jesus is saying here and so right. Here's what he's saying. The reality of why he's teaching us to pray this way is because we don't live this way. That's the wrong thing. The right thing is what happens when we start thinking and living this way. And to be honest, one of the frustrating things for me personally, if you don't mind me stepping up on a soapbox just for a sec, is any time that things get hard, In culture, what do Christians do? Get me out of here, God. Come on back, God. I hear that more than he's coming back. He's coming back. No, he's here. His kingdom is here. His presence is here. Yes, it's all away. It's in the future, but it's right now. It's like we're obsessed about getting out of here when he's right here with us. Do you see how we're missing out on the abiding relationship right now? We're living into eternity right now. But so many of us are missing this, and as a result of this, of course we don't know how to pray. Of course we don't know how to live because we have this escapism mentality. As long as I get out of this situation, everything's being better. But an abiding love, an abiding life of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a reality that says, listen, you can have joy in suffering. Did you know that? You know that you can have a peace that passes all understanding. Jesus says this, in this world you will suffer, but take heart, I've overcome the world. This is what it is to be invited into that lifestyle. And so often we're trying to get out of here and rat, instead of acknowledging that he is here. He's here right now with us, with you. How is that impacting your life? And what I would love to encourage believers is with this. How, are we living in a way that says your kingdom come? Right now, are we living in that way? Are we inviting him into that level of intimacy into our life? And I talk about it like this. It's an anticipatory lifestyle. You kids are going back to school, I think, this week, right? Is that right? Okay. You kids, check this out. What would it look like for you to walk into school and just be like, and you can relate this, adults, to any area of your life, of going like, I'm a Jesus person, and wherever I go, Jesus goes with me. And that impacts every space and place I find myself in, which means this, you matter in the kingdom of God right now. If he wanted you out of here, he would have got you out of here. But you matter right now in church history. We need you now to be and abide in Christ because it will impact people around you, the spaces around you. 
That's gospel living. This is what John's desperately inviting this church into. And really what Jesus is trying to do, and John's trying to do the whole thing throughout his book, is this. This is a declaration to get earth out of us and invite heaven in. We've got to get earth out of us, invite heaven in. That's why Paul says we need to crucify ourselves. Crucify ourselves to Christ and his kingdom come and his will be done. And it impacts every area of your life, which is this next part as he's inviting you into his will. If we're inviting in him, then we're going to want to do and pray the way he wants us to. We want to go where he wants us to go. We want to be who he wants us to be. In verse 14 it says this, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his, uh, according to his will, he what? Hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have that, the request that we have asked of him. I think something that's being really exposed in, in, in our prayer life is this. And I just think, take this as a microcosm for what I believe happens in most of our prayer life or even in our life. Mealtime prayers, I think, are sometimes some of the most sacrilegious things that we do, right? Right? It, it, we, we sit down and the food is wafting into our nostrils, right? And somebody lobs one up into the heavens, right? Lord, thanks for this food. Bless all the babies. Amen. Right? And everyone's like, blah, right? I think this is how we tend to approach in most areas of our prayer life. How can we, I, there, there needs to be a result to this. I got, or it's just some religious urge to get through it because I feel guilty if I don't. And then God's in heaven going, you didn't pray for the food. Now you're going to have diarrhea, right? <laughs> like some of us have, like I, I grew up where God was going to get me, right? It's not real. If I have an abiding relationship with him. And some of you right now are like, goodness, we're going to have to go to lunch after this. <laughs> we're going to like, dear God, but, hold on, dear Lord. <laughs> I oftentimes, I mean, I mean this sincerely, I repent sometimes in those prayers. I'm sorry, Lord, I just want to eat my food. I just, I just want to move past this pleasantry to get to the thing that I really want, which isn't you. It's just this in and out cheeseburger that I want to get after, right? But it's exposing something in us. It's showing us that there's something off there. There's something wrong. And here's, where I, here's something I've been working through, and I'd love to invite you into it. It's been super helpful for me. I'm going to need some feedback. Um, what does it mean to know God? Just yell some things out loudly. What does it mean to know God? Go ahead. What does it mean to know God? Trust. Really good. Thank you. What does it mean to know God? Peace. What does it mean to know God? What's that? Spend time. Faith. Oh, little kids, man. I love them. All right. If we only we had the faith of a little child, right? Okay. Go ahead. What does it mean to know God? Hope. What? Who he is. What else? What he's done. Thank you. What does it mean to know yourself? What does it mean to know yourself? Honesty. Transparency, right? What else? What does it mean to know yourself? When's the last time you thought about knowing yourself? Like, right? Here's something really interesting. If I know God and my identity is rooted in him, he will help me understand who I am. He will teach me how to pray. 
He will show me how to live. But if I am out of relationship with God and my identity is not rooted in him, if I don't know him, I will not know myself. But if I start with myself, right, which a lot of us do, we start with ourselves. God, I'm in pain. God, I'm confused. This is how we start a lot of our prayer life. God, fix me, make it better, make it go away. We start with ourselves. Instead of going, you are God, I am not. You are truth. I don't know truth. We start with God and so that we can know ourselves. And what's the next thing? How do we know others? How do we know others? Go ahead, tell me. How do we know others? Time. Time. How do we know others? Listening. Thank you. Behavior. Behavior. Here's, here's interesting. I know God, and if I know God and my identity is rooted in him, I will come to truly understand who I am. It will impact everything I do and how I pray. And guess what that will do next? It will propel me to see other people the way that he sees them, the way that he loves them. Otherwise, if it's all about me, I'm just going to use people. And if it's all about me, I'm just going to use God. You see how in the middle, this is so important in our lives. And it really does impact the way you and I relate, not just to God, but to ourselves and to other people. What Jesus is inviting them into in the, pray, in, in the Lord's Prayer is a refocusing of who he is and who they are so it goes and impacts the world that he's going to die for. That's why he comes back to them and he says, okay, this is how you pray. Give us today our what? Daily bread. How insignificant is bread? He could have said anything there, but he says, give us, we're to pray to God every morning. Give us today our daily bread. How many of you love Costco? Raise your hands if you love Costco, right? How many of you have gone to Costco and said, I'm just going to go get butter? Raise your hand. And you know you didn't. You walked out with a $1,000 bill and going, I don't know why I needed 500 batteries, but I got them now, right? I got them now. I bought, I bought literally 60 pounds of coffee. I don't know how that happened. I only needed one pound, right? You came out with so much stuff and you're like, how did this happen? How am I going to explain this? But we love Costco because Costco is America, it's just like we walk around like, look at all the stuff that I can. See, I'm safe in Costco. Costco's going to care for me. I got everything I need in bulk, right? Everything's going to be okay. But what happens when Costco runs out of toilet paper? Oh, I just hit a soft point, didn't I? We all lose our minds. Can you believe how we lost our minds about toilet paper, right? Costco didn't have toilet paper. We were like, the world's coming to an end. We're all, right? Jesus is going, I know this about you. I know this about you. I know this about you. He knows this about the disciples. He knows this about us, and he's merciful towards us. But he's trying to refocus this into who actually is taking care of us. So that it focuses us on how we pray and how we live. 
Give us today our daily bread. This word daily is a really interesting word in the Greek. It's epiusias, and it's one of the most complex Greek words. In fact, it's only found here in Luke, and they haven't been able to find it a ton in other Greek writing until a, a little while ago they found it on a piece of papaya. And what was on the piece of papaya was a shopping list with this Greek word. And it's as if Jesus is inviting them into this. Help me get the things that are on my shopping list daily. As I come to him in prayer, I know and I'm abiding in him, his will, his life, his will, his way for his glory, right? I'm going, I have all this stuff and you already know it. Would you take care of that? Do you see me? Do you know me? I know you do. Would you just provide for me? And this is a daily thing. Remember Matthew 6 says, listen, don't worry about your life. Don't be anxious. Actually, in the Greek, that's translated, don't be distracted. In prayer, I think we're so distracted. In life, we're so distracted. Jesus is like, don't be so distracted. You see how I care for the dumb birds and the flowers? You know, they come today, they die tomorrow, right? They, I take care of them. Don't I care so much more for you? This is what John's trying to root them in. This is what John's trying to bring them back. Don't I, don't I care so much for you? I love you so much. I care for you so much. Seek first the kingdom of God. Kingdom come, will be done on earth as in heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What will happen? all these things. That's a refocusing in our prayer life. You're in control of it all. You know it all. I want to bring to you. He says, bring it to me. Bring it, but I am humbly submitting my life to who you are in relationship with you. I'm not getting distracted because there's something so much more important in this world that you are calling and commissioning me towards. I went to Kenya about four years ago. I went to this little dung, uh, dung house in, in a village in the middle of nowhere. And we sat with this elderly lady. She's 85 years old. I said, tell me about your life. She said, Every morning, I wake up. And I walk outside of my hut. And I say, God, I don't have food. But you're the one who provides. Would you give me food today? And she said, sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. And she said this, to God be the glory. Oh, how we've missed out on that faith. And I love that you said that. On that faith, on that dependency, that he is going to provide for you and care for you in his will, in his way, for his glory. And if we trust him, we do not have to be afraid. For he's with us. He will lead us and guide us. And he knows us. See, God doesn't need reminded to care for you but we need to be reminded of who's caring for us. We get sideways. This Costco complex is in our minds so often that it, that it squelches this relationship with him, which impacts the way we pray, which this, it impacts our mission. We've been called in this world to be a light unto the nations for the world to see. For the world to see. We've been commissioned. Go. 
which translates as you are going, which means every part of your life, as you are going, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Son, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what we've been invited into. But so often because we, are, we don't know who we are in Christ, therefore we don't know who we are, that impacts our prayer life. We don't go and live out what he's inviting us to. The focus of John is going, listen, you have to get re-centered in the person of Jesus so you know who you are as a believer so you can go live into the mission that you've been called to live into. Eugene Peterson talks about it this way. He says to have a pastoral imagination. Don't you love that? As we pray, what would it look like to have a pastoral imagination for your family, for yourself, for your community? And imagination, God, what would you do in my life? God, what would you do in my family's life? God, what would you do in this church's life? God, what would you do in this community? What would you do? Speak to me. Show me. Reveal me. Here's a couple things that I desire. Here's a couple things that I long for or need. What would it look like for this church to take on a, a pastoral imagination? Because intimacy with God gives you his eyes and heart for his world. So it's not just prayer for me. No, this abiding life is pulling me all the way through so I can go care for other people. Henry Blackaby says it this way, and maybe you've heard of this. Join God in where he's moving. Join him in where he's moving. Which means I'm, I, I know who I am in you. My identity's rooted, and so I pray out of that, which only gives me eyes for the world that he's invited me into to make a difference. Um, a few years ago, maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago, I went to a GCU soccer game. Um, I've never really been to a GCU soccer game. My son had, was going there at the time. We had some friends that are huge soccer people. So like, come to the game. So they got us free tickets. We went to the game. Game was awesome. All the way down to the last, uh, there's 45 seconds left on the game. And GCU is up by one goal, and the other team is pressing them. I think it was Seattle Pacific. They are they're pressing GCU, and they shoot the ball, and the goalie dies, and he punches it. And everyone's like, Wah! everyone's cheering they they punch it out they cross it back over to the field and we're looking at all the chaos of like where's the ball and all of a sudden you hear this whole stadium go oh we're like what's happening and we turned around and the goalie is laying on the ground and so we're like oh he must have got hit or whatever and then he won't get up and then all of a sudden we hear the players start screaming oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And they're running away from this guy. The medics are running out. This, this kid, the goalie, his mom runs out on the field and you can hear her wailing in the whole stadium. And the whole stadium just goes completely quiet. What is happening? Completely quiet. And we can't figure out what's going on. Is he dead? Is he knocked out? And he's not getting up. What is happening? And so what we do is the whole stadium is in tension. No one is talking. It's complete silence, and everyone's looking around. What are we looking around for? Where is help? We keep looking. We keep hearing in a distance uh, ambulances or, or cop cars. 30 minutes later, everyone is freaking out. A whole stadium is in tension. Everyone's like on the edge of their seat. No one has left the stadium. Everyone's like, what's going on? And finally, the, 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 the fire department pulls up, and the fireman gets out, and he, he has like a medical kit, and he's walking across the field. 
all of a sudden, the whole stadium goes, run! They start screaming at this guy, you've got to run! You've got to get him! And so finally, the guy's like, oh gosh, and he starts running towards, and then everyone else, and then they take him away. And I, ha- I just sat in that moment, I went, this is so important. We were all participating in the pain of what was happening. Nobody's leaving. We were joining God in his work. God, we don't know, but you've got to do something here. You've got to show up. So finally, when one of God's servants show up, we're like, you've got to go, bro. We were completely focused on the care of this young man, which, by the way, he did survive, but he's no longer able to play soccer again. And I think so often as believers, we're so distracted. I think so often we're like, there's somebody on the field, and we're like, i got stuff to do. There's other things going on. This is, this is taking way too much time because we've forgotten who we are in Christ. And as a result of understanding who we are as Christ, we're just completely distracted. And as because we're completely distracted, we miss out on our mission. And as we miss out on our mission, it impacts the whole thing. And what John is trying to do is refocus. That's why in verse 20 through 21 he says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then he wraps by this. This is so beautiful. Little children, keep yourself from idols. A reminder, we are so easily distracted, so easily distracted. But if we know we have an abiding relationship with him and it impacts the way we pray and live our lives, we're joining him in the mission, it will impact what we do in this world. Make sense? John summarizes the whole book. He comes down, he lands at this point. Stay on task with who you are in Christ. Let it impact everything you do. You are eternal life people right now. Not there, right now for his glory and his honor. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you through your, your servant, John, which I'm so grateful for John in his writings. Thank you that he's refocusing on us and who you are and whose we are and what it means to live on mission in this world for your glory and your honor. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, amen.